This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Hey, welcome to Aviation Careers Podcast. My name is Carl Valeri, and I'm joined this evening uh, with one of our co-hosts that we haven't had on in a while because he's been flying like crazy, and that's Paul Greco. Paul, welcome back to the podcast. Good to hear from you. Oh, thanks. It's great to be here. I, it's been way too long, so I'm excited to be back. It, it has been way too long, but we're going to get to why that is and yeah. why you've been so darn busy for uh, for the past uh, year, really. Uh, only been on a few times, but uh, a lot of good things to go over this evening. Uh, but before we get started, a couple things I want to mention real quickly is... Uh, the fact that we just updated the Aerospace Scholarships Guide. Remember, we're moving away from the online uh, directory. Although you can still purchase it, the best way to buy it is actually going on to the Amazon store or the iTunes store to actually get your copy of the Aerospace Scholarships Guide. So what we've been doing is about every quarter to every half a year, but definitely in September, we've been updating it. And we're going to come up with the 2018 guide in January. Uh, but we have all the updates. So like, say you're going to want to start applying for scholarships now, uh, you can start doing that. Again, if you have downloaded it in the Amazon store and the iBook store, make sure you go back and re-download that. You can actually uh, you know, take it off your device and re-download. There's uh, some instructions, I think, on the Amazon that, that show you how to do that. Also, um, for our coaching clients, I know that my schedule has been quite busy and we've been getting quite a few new clients as far as coaching is concerned. Remember, we do the career coaching. We also help you decide uh, what path to take and uh, or help you decide what path to take and also you know, give some suggestions as to what the, the best route is on many different fields, whether you're changing careers or you're wanting to know what the next step should be, that type of thing, uh, we help you there. Also, of course, doing the interview preparation, resume review, and application review and cover letters. So that's all part of that process. You can take a look at our video, aviationcareerspodcast.com slash coaching to see a little bit more. There's that little video you can take a look at. tells you a little bit about what we do. And uh, <clears throat> basically what we've done is we put it into our course system where we have some of the other online courses and we're moving all of our online courses to that new platform. It's still in the process of doing that. Uh, but, uh, it's been, been a real busy couple of months. As you noticed, uh, we've, uh, we didn't get one, a podcast out last week because of that, but a uh, lot of, a lot of neat things happening. That's for sure. Also, another announcement is, uh, of course, I coach a flight team at Polk State College and would really appreciate the uh, financial help, if you can uh, give, no matter what it is, if a dollar, two dollars, three dollars, or more, uh, it's on aviationcareerspodcast.com in the right column that says uh, donate to the flight team. And uh, what that does is helps us go to the regionals. This year, we're in Auburn University, is where we compete. Uh, collegiate flight teams are really cool. It teaches people how to win. It teaches how to, people how to win with integrity. And it's also a great thing to have on the resume. The students uh, really, you know, when I'm looking at resumes uh, in all these job interviews, I look at uh, first, you know, the top, make sure they have the qualifications. I run down to the bottom and look at it, the different things that they're involved with. And that's uh, one of the first things I see is somebody involved in the flight team really stands out. Uh, but anyway, aviationcareerspodcast.com, just look in the, the right corner. Uh, today, we're going to do a little bit of a format as far as questions and answers. We do have uh, one quick bullet point uh, to go over as far as applications. Uh, this has just kind of been a common theme uh, throughout uh, the different coaching sessions, so I wanted to mention it. 
uh, today as far as your online application and your application just in general. Uh, when you're disclosing information about your past and about uh, what you've done flying-wise, one of the best things you can do to help yourself is before you apply and before you fill out those applications, go ahead and get your records from the FA. You can actually request those. And uh, so you can see, say, uh, in your training or say in your background you've had an issue, uh, I'll give an example. Say with a, you have ASAP programs or aviation safety reporting programs that are within the collegiate environment. Also, they're within the airlines. Uh, if you're in a regional and you filled out an ASAP and you were put into some, say, uh, remedial type training, etc., and you're not really sure whether that went on your record uh, or not, what you can do is you figure that out very easily by pulling your records uh, from the FAA. And also, when you do pull your records, make sure you do that before, right before you apply. Um, one of the reasons I say that is every so often there's a little backup in your records process as far as what's happened. Uh, say you have a, a failure or retrain or something like that in your record or something like a, a letter of uh, correction on your record that you really didn't know about. This will actually uh, show up in this background check. You're doing your own little background check. I really highly recommend that because every so often uh, things do show up in your record that you didn't realize you had. And it's a good time to, to get that straightened out ahead of time. Also, uh, it, if it is in your background, you definitely have to disclose it in your, in your interview because then they're going to think that you were lying on your application. You don't want that to happen, uh, the airline that you're trying to get hired with. So a little word of advice there. Anyway, let's get on with some of the questions uh, and uh, some of the uh, different responses we've had here. Some are, are kind of uh, just encouragement and that type of thing, and some are some direct questions. So, Paul, you ready to, to ask answer some of these questions? From the, They're great questions, aren't they? Absolutely. Oh, they always are. Yeah, there are no dumb questions, that's for sure, and and these are really, really cool, and and remember, if something gets a repeat, that's fine, because a lot of people are just starting to listen to this podcast, uh, so don't ever worry about a repeat question. I know sometimes they're in the back, and by the way, don't forget the search option on the right side of the screen. If you have a question, type it in the search option. Sometimes you'll find your question has been answered in past podcasts. Anyway, moving on, first uh, email comes in and says, Carl and gang, I'm so excited to share with you that I've been taking my flying career one step at a time. I'm 59 years old and started on my instrument rating back in 2008 and finally received my instrument rating yesterday. I'm stoked. It was a lot of work and between paying for kids to get married to helping them buy homes and some college, my goal of getting my instrument rating is achieved. I'm, I've been self-employed as a realtor and mortgage lender for 25 years, but my dream of flying for a living is becoming a reality. I'm on to my commercial and multi-engine with 830 hours and know this is an amazing time to get into flying, even at age 59. I encourage your listeners not to give up, and I appreciate all the encouragement and insight everybody at Aviation Careers Podcast gives us. God bless. Well, thanks so much for that story. Uh, really cool to hear from somebody uh, that is uh, in the tail end of one career and starting a new one, possibly even continuing on to uh, 
<laughs> to continue doing the real estate. And you can do both things at the same time in aviation. It'd be really interesting to see where this takes you. If uh, it takes you the path of the corporate flight instruction, collegiate environment, etc., or whether you're looking at the airlines possibly for a little while and then maybe go into the instructional environment there. So thanks, thanks for that email. Yeah, I love this. You know, so many times as a parent too, you know, you, you always put other, your kids and, and your family ahead of you and, and what you want to do. And, and he's finally getting it done. And, uh, I, I remember getting my insurance rating and that was such a huge hurdle. I remember thinking like, man, this is just really tough. And, um, I, I really felt like a pilot after I had my instrument rating knocked out. And so, uh, keep going, keep plugging away. There's so much flying that you can do, uh, for so many more years. Um, so I think it's awesome. Congratulations. Keep going. Yeah, when you get the commercial license, you can say to everybody, I'm a commercial pilot. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Connotes something else in other people's minds. They think you, oh, what airline do you fly, Florence? Well, you know, it's, I have my commercial license. and Oh, yeah. so you don't fly for an airline. No. You know, it, but it's still, it, it's something to be you know, proud of. And an accomplishment, sure that, that's for sure. Um, anyway, thanks for that encouragement there. Moving on to the next question actually comes from, from Russ, who is going to be editing this podcast right now. So thanks for the question, Russ. Russ is a big help. I talked about the scholarships guide. He is the one that's actually updated it and got it ready. He does most of the research, him and the staff, uh, do most of the research, uh, finding those scholarships and also making sure they're in the directory and they're correct. One of the reasons people want and like our scholarships guide is we actually go through and verify each scholarship throughout the year. And uh, this isn't just a, a links website that's set up there. They have to be actually meet our criteria as a scholarship to be placed in our guide. So it's not just a links website, that's for sure. Um, <clears throat> it's very inexpensive, too. It's only $10 for the, the scholarships guide. Anyway, um, interesting. He uh, Russ writes, he says that he was editing episode 142 and heard the question from an educator looking at getting into aviation. He asked about whether a master's in education would be viewed as a good degree by the, by the major. So Russ's question is this. Would that help him stand out as a future candidate for a Czech Airman job? I imagine he would need to be a pilot for the airline for a few years before he could apply. But maybe that would help come to the point come to that point well yeah that's a good question as far as having a, a degree in it in education it does uh in my mind stand out a little bit uh one of the things that uh, would really stand out is the person has actually had some experience teaching uh as far as just going out and getting a, a master's in education going out of, of his way to do that uh with the airlines and becoming a check airman wouldn't help a, a tremendous amount, a little bit, a little bit, not worth the degree itself, but if the person was looking at possibly getting into the environment of being a teacher at a university or a college, then definitely, yes, that would be good to have the master's in education. But as far as an airline is concerned, uh, no, uh, it, it's not, it's it's decent, but uh, gosh, not really worth uh, the, the effort to become a Czech airman. The biggest thing is, is having that experience. Uh, it always stands out to have more degrees. But uh, you can be in a Czech Airman, well, you know, just as long as you have that experience with the, the airline and, and with that uh, with that uh, aircraft that you're flying. So, yeah, would it help you? Eh, but not as much. Not it's not worth the whole degree just to become a Czech Airman because there's people that that uh, don't even have degrees. I know that uh, are Czech Airmen. Just to kind of drive that point home. Uh, anyway, let's move on to the next one. Here is a is from. Uh, 
A person in Canada, a private pilot, he wants to start by saying that I love the podcast and listen to it during each of my commutes to work. Currently work as a firefighter here in Canada and have always had a love for aviation. I've been working towards my private pilot certificate for a while now and have loved every minute. After this is done, my plans are to pursue my commercial through the flight club I currently train at. I feel this would be best suited for being someone with a full-time career. What are your thoughts? Uh, let's go ahead and answer that one, Paul. I know that uh, you've actually, I also have uh, done some flying, in the, excuse me, instructing in a flying club. And uh, I, it's been very beneficial for me because it's, it's a very target-rich environment and the people there are very dedicated that usually are part of that club. Uh, Paul, you've, you've actually taught in a flight club, haven't you? I actually, no, I actually learned to fly in a flight club. Um, and I was just a member of a flight club. I taught at a, at a local flight school. Gotcha. Um, okay. yeah, but, uh, no, it, it's a great way to, it's a great way to train, <clears throat> excuse me. And, uh, you know, it, it's usually very cost effective. Um, and, and you usually can hook up with a company or, uh, excuse me, a, a flight club instructor who also works at a discounted rate. And, uh, so I think it's a great, uh, great opportunity. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because you being the the student in a flight club, uh, you know, the, it really you're there and you're definitely part of that club, so you're not going anywhere, which is kind of nice uh, from the instructor standpoint. You know, you have definitely a, a, right. a, an environment there of people very very uh, interested in the opportunity to fly and, and get instruction. Yeah, it's a great networking opportunity. Um, oh, yeah. Um, anyway, he continues on with his question here. He says, uh, I'm very lucky with my career right now as we work 24-hour shifts, which only means two shifts per week. Long shifts, but gives me lots of time off. That is cool. Because of my shift days are variable and cannot commit to schooling Monday to Friday, do you think my training through my private club slash flight school is the best way to go. My dream has always been to fly for a major airline, but the main goal is to just be able to fly on a commercial level. Being paid to just fly seems amazing to me. Um, as far as your schedule is concerned, in general, flight schools are used to dealing with people that have very varied schedules. Yours is actually more wide open than most, even though it changes a little bit. Uh, so as long as you know what your shifts are, uh, a little bit in advance, uh, say a month in advance, et cetera, there should be no problem with you scheduling uh, flight time. It, it shouldn't be a problem at all. Yeah, and that's I, I, that's actually exactly the schedule that I had when I did my flight training. As a matter of fact, um, I was for for the. I, it's been a while since I've been on, but uh, just as a, a reminder for everyone, um, I'm a career changer, and I was working as a, a flight nurse, a medevac nurse. Um, before I became an airline captain and, um, I worked, uh, I was initially working 12 hour shifts, but I switched to a, to a job where I was working 24 hour shifts and I did the same, the exact same schedule. I did two, two shifts a week. Um, one on one shift on one shift, one, uh, day off, then a day on. And then I had five days off in a row and I flight trained on those five days off every week. And, um, <clears throat> I just went to a flight school that was accommodating to that schedule and would roll with, um, my schedule as it changed. And then what I did was, um, as I got a little bit more serious about my flying, I looked into, uh, accelerated flight training, which I know that doesn't really go with, um, the, the flying club situation that he discussed earlier, 
but just another option. I went, I went with accelerated training because then I just took a couple days off and I wound up having like two weeks off in a row and I would just go down and I'd bang out a rating. So I would, I got my instrument rating in about seven days. I got my commercial rating in five days. I got my multi-engine in a day and a half. And I did all this stuff on days off. Um, some of it I didn't need to take time off from work. Other days I did. Um, but having a, a schedule like that really enables you to be able to get uh, a lot of those ratings done. And I was able to get those ratings done inside of it uh, a year. And then my, uh, my instructor took, a, took me just past a year. But that's a great schedule for training. And uh, you have nothing but time uh, to be able to, to work through everything that you need to work through. Interestingly, that is what uh, I always tell people is a perfect scenario, something a job like that, just like uh, Paul was saying. But really, really good, uh, good idea to to get it done as quick as possible. And in your situation, man, you can easily do that. I mean, you're, you're in a perfect, perfect situation. Um, anyway, the next question he has, he has a second question. He says uh, he wants to know how flexible is scheduling at the regional airline. Uh, he asked this because if there is a way for me to keep my current career and was able to just fly on the regional level, I feel I would be very happy having a safety net of my current six-figure career with pension and amazing benefits would just make the transition until getting into a major airline that much easier. I've <laughs> he says, I have over 10,000 hours logged at my home flight simulator, and even on that, I just can't get enough. So I can only imagine the rush I would get from doing this in the real world. Thanks so much for your time. Sorry for the long-winded question. I hope to hear uh, the answer soon. Uh, well, one of the things that we look at as far as scheduling and the reason we love being at the airlines is the fact that our schedule is so varied and it is so flexible. But by flexible, it happens when you get more senior. It becomes more flexible. You can bid certain days off, etc. It sounds like your job, I'm not sure, is is more flexible in that maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you could take this job and and mold it around the airline and what you're doing with your flying. And, Paul, you'd be a perfect person to ask this because you actually did a, a little bit of both during your, your career transition, still working uh, with the airline and also working another job. I did. I worked uh, – I continued to work as a nurse – um, through my FO days to, to, uh, offset the, the, the low income. And I will tell you that, uh, it was very, very difficult. I was not full time. I was, uh, what they consider a per diem employee. And so, uh, my schedule rotated based on, um, you know, the, the availability that I had. I, I put in, uh, days that I was available to work. Um, and I'll, that as, that, that became difficult as time went on because at my airline, I was on reserve for a number of months as you, as you, you will likely be when you first join an airline and you're, you're very junior. Uh, and I, min, min days off on reserve, uh, or 11 days at the airline that I work at. <clears throat> and so, you know, that doesn't give you a lot of days off to work. Um, and so when you do work them, you wind up working essentially every day in the month, which I did for a while to uh, pay the bills. So is it possible? Yeah, it's possible. Is it, um, you know, an optimal situation? No, it's really not. Um, <clears throat> and if you're working full time, it, it, it's it's challenging because, you know, in that that, that uh, 24 on, 24 off, 24 on type schedule, 
you know, it's kind of a rotating schedule and there will be days of overlap. Now you might be able to find coverage at the airline or coverage at the firehouse and make it work. It's going to be, it's going to be challenging. I won't say it's impossible. It's certainly not impossible. Um, but it's going to be hard. And there, you know, there are days where, um, that are going to be really hard. For example, holidays, uh, your junior at an airline, you're going to be working every holiday. Um, and so if you're, if you're, you know, rotation falls on holidays at the, at the firehouse, well, you know, then you're going to be double booked. And so that gets, that gets tricky. Um, so I, I could speak pretty well from experience there. I, I pretty much did all of it. Um, it is possible. It's really hard. I stopped when I upgraded the captain and I was making better money. I, um, I resigned from my flight nurse position. Um, it was a really hard decision, um, for me to resign because I, I still loved it. Um, but I, I was going in a different direction and I needed to move my aviation career forward. I was wholly committed to my career change and I needed, I needed to commit to it. And so, uh, you know, I decided that, you know, I was making enough money to get by. It was less than I was making when I was working as a nurse, but you know, in the end, ultimately it was, it was what I needed to move my career forward, you know, most efficiently. So it worked out for you then, Paul? Is that uh I, th- I I would say so. I mean I got I've got really, really solid looks from um a major airline and a legacy airline. Um and I I think it has to do with well a lot of, a lot of luck. A little bit you know, a lot of, a lot with luck, a little with timing and a lot of hard work. Uh I worked pretty much um I could so uh, let's see. I upgraded to captain in about a year and a half ago <clears throat> and I needed a thousand hours as a captain a, to make myself marketable, um, to other airlines, but also to, uh, uh, meet requirements of, a, a program that I'm in with another airline. And so I decided to just do it as quickly as I could. So I made the decision to, um, leave my nursing job so that I could pick up extra flying and work essentially, um, you know, all but five days a month as a, as an airline captain. And so the money was great. And so I made up the difference, uh, financially. And at the same time I was moving my career forward. I figured, uh, if I got the requirement of this program met, I, which, which is a thousand hours as a captain, that's a huge, um, you know, sort of accomplishment. And that's something that is really, really important when you're trying to move your career forward and get looks from other airlines. Thousand, thousand turbine PIC is a big number. Um, and so I figured I was doing myself no harm, uh, by doing that. And so, you know, I made the decision to, um, you know, to go for it. And I, I felt like by doing both careers, I was kind of holding myself back in a way where, uh, you know, I was kind of committed to being a nurse and I was kind of committed to being a pilot and, you know, the nursing, the nursing side of things, you know, people aren't happy with you if you're not committing a hundred percent to, you know, what you're doing. And so I, I'm a, the type of person that needs to be a hundred percent committed to what I'm doing and doing the best that I can. And I really thought that by focusing on the flying, um, moving my career forward, I, I felt that that was going to that's what was going to benefit my family and my career. And ultimately it has, I mean, I've got, 
like I said, I've got I've got pretty solid looks from um, my two like my two dream airlines. Like if you told me a year and a half ago that I'd have I'd be waiting on you know essentially class dates for these two airlines, I would I would tell you you're crazy. And here I am, and I that's what's happening. So um, you know, so I I, I think. Yeah. The, it the, worked out. Yeah, I think I think it worked out really well. And just I think he's being a little bit too humble here. Solid looks is kind of an interesting word that you use. You actually are waiting for a training <laughs> date at two different airlines, two different majors. That's more than just a look. I mean, you've actually yeah. gone through the whole interview process, and uh, you've actually uh, been given letters stating that you know we're waiting to give you a training date at two different uh, major airlines, one being a legacy, another major, which. You know, we use them interchangeably. So that that's actually pretty darn good. I, I I'd have to say. I mean, that's uh, that's. Well, a, I have awesome I have deal. the one letter from the major. the The legacy is still. Uh, I'm still waiting on that letter. Right. But I, I'm like I'm kind of like I'm at a point where it's a, a review committee type of a thing. So I'm as far in the program. You know, or far in the process, I should say, as as you can get just before you get that letter. So, with that said, it kind of this is a cool thing to bring up right now because I want to mention this. A lot of, and I've seen this play out a bunch of times. You can be within a process, and you read all on the internet that hey, I'm in, I'm in stage one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, or whatever of my interview process. That means I have the job. There is, you don't actually have the job, even if you're in training, and this is kind of scary to say this, Absolutely. but you have what's called a conditional job offer, and that conditional job offer can be rescinded at any time, and I'll give you an interesting little scenario. I was hired in uh, 2001 in April with the airline that I was working for, and it wasn't until... I got to 2004 that I got the letter saying that, congratulations, you now are hired. Wow. That sounds really strange because that sounds like more than a year, but I was an apprentice member, and I got furloughed and after six months of flying for the airline. And then I came back after a couple of years, so it was a good uh, three years total time before I actually was given the letter that was no longer conditionally hired. I was actually hired and on the seniority list. And uh, I was on the seniority list, but officially an actual pilot for that airline. Uh, so that's it's kind of interesting how these things do work out. And people are probably sitting there shaking their heads. And uh, that hopefully will never happen again, those scenarios. Uh, but you really, once you get to the airline, remember there's a process. As, even as you're going through training, which is a little scary. And that's why you need to look at your background before you run into the airline, is that make sure... That because they're hiring so quickly that you have everything in your ducks in a row when you get to training. Because halfway through training, you may get a phone call and say, "Hey, listen, we got a problem with your background." Trust me, it happened to me a bunch of times because I had worked for myself for so long, I didn't have an employer, and it was me. And so now that's that's not good for an airline background check. And so I had to do quite a bit of uh, digging for information as to where I was, where I lived, that type of thing. Uh, so that that's quite important. So really, it's interesting that uh, that we've been talking about this. But get, I think one of the big things you can take away from today's podcast, by the way, is before you apply for an airline, do a background check uh, on yourself. If you have any questions as to anything in your background that might be a problem, it could be something that you messed up and you forgot to report. Say it's something you forgot to report on your medical. You might want to consult with a medical examiner and say to them, listen, I forgot to put this down. I was three years old when I had the surgery. 
I don't remember, you know, and I just realize I'm, do I need to disclose this? And they may say, no, you don't need to, or they may say you do need to, it's best to, to consult with them. But if you, if they find you purposely, uh, you know, extracted information or didn't include information, uh, in your application, that's going to be a problem with, with getting hired with an airline. So important stuff there. Uh, anyway, I think that was good. I think, uh, the flexibility on the regional level, I always tell people, be ready to have that as your only job and have a part-time job doing some other things uh, and make the other job flexible, not the regional airline, because you are going to have have to truly commit to that. Yeah. Um, Anyway. I think it probably differs by airlines, too, right? I mean, you know, my airline might be less flexible because we're growing and we have an incredible need for pilots right now. We're really, really short-staffed, and if you're working at an airline – that could be downsizing maybe there could be more flexibility in the sense that you could be on reserve and not flying or, you know, I don't know, maybe their staffing is just better. Well, that's a good example. When, uh, when I was working as a furlough rep, I convinced the airline that I was working for to allow us to have 20 hour lines, meaning only flying 20 hours a month. Wow. And, uh, you know, people could go out and get other jobs easily and still be able to keep current flying. That would be awesome. Um, yeah, it would be. Honestly, that isn't going to happen. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Things are just they're so tight on pilots. It's going to be yeah. a while. And if that does happen, that's not good because that means airlines aren't hiring as much. Yeah. Uh, so we don't we don't want that to happen. I know it's cool, but <laughs> it's better to to be able to drop trips, etc. Well, it's nice that they did that. I mean, that probably saved some guys from getting furloughed, right? It saved hundreds of people, uh, yeah. hundreds uh, of people from getting furloughed. And the reason that we were they were able to do that, it was basically financial on their side. I was able to convince them that in six months they felt they were going to have to recall people. And I said, well, just put them part-time, and now you don't have to hire anybody. You don't have to recall people. You just cancel the 20-hour lines, and that's exactly what they did. Uh, Save money all the way around as far as uh, processing of the people out, in, outbound and inbound. Right. If it was going to be a furlough for a couple of years, I'm sure that that tune would have changed. Yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> it would have been different. Uh, hey, we got time for another question, don't we, Paul? Yeah, yeah, yeah we got time. This is a good one. Uh, this is really interesting. I got. I can't wait to read this. Here it goes. Uh, first of all, thank you a thousand times over for creating this podcast. You, your other hosts and guests have all brought so much valuable insight to myself and so many other people. It's appreciated more than you all know. Uh, Thanks. I appreciate that. Um, A little more about me. Uh, I'm a 30-year-old real estate agent. I've always been fascinated by aviation, but I've always looked at it as somewhat of an unattainable goal, like a professional athlete. After finding out a friend of mine had gotten his private pilot license, I realized that it was something I could do, too. I went on a discovery flight, and I genuinely haven't slept since that. Wow. After doing some serious research, I've decided that I want to pursue a career in commercial aviation. I'm going to get my private pilot license this year while my wife finishes school, then attend an accelerated program after she graduates. I've listened to almost every single one of your episodes, but please forgive me if you've already gone over one of my questions. Uh, When it comes to commercial slash business aviation, does it require the same 1,500 flight hours as the regional airlines in order to get hired? Does it require the same first-class medical as the airlines? And would you suggest training on a certain type of aircraft or equipment in order to better prepare myself? For example, uh, I have had a commercial pilot tell me they train on a DA-40 with a G-1000 as opposed to training a 172 or a a Piper with steam gauges. Uh, They said mainly because the industry seems to be going away uh, for from the steam gauges and going towards glass. And lastly, the other question he has 
Is there any difference about qualifications or the path to becoming a commercial pilot? Any advice is appreciated. Thank you so much again for everything you all you do. I uh, look forward to hearing your thoughts. Well, first of all, um, the business and commercial aviation, a lot of times requirements are based on the insurance and the flight department. So it is not a steadfast 1,500 hours because of the ATP. That's just a requirement that that, that uh, operator would require. Uh, and, um, you know, one of the things that we'll have to do is, uh, have some more people that are in the, the business and aviation on, but it's, uh, I've gone through a couple of these and prepared people. It's more so what their insurance tells them or what their, uh, what their flight department says. Uh, but it doesn't have that steadfast rule that the, the FAA has put in place for an airline. You have to have your ATP. And yes, it'll require you to have a first class medical as airlines do when you do become a captain in most of these operators. But in general, it only as far as the requirements, it's usually just a second class. Uh, But most of these guys are wanting you to have a first class medical as far as the actual operating certificate. Normally, it'll say that you have to have a second class medical. uh, But that that also can change again, based on each individual operator. Remember, it's corporate, so it's all based on what their insurance says. Say the insurance says you have to have first-class medical. Well, you're going to have to do that. Uh, so there's there's a requirement there. Commercial stuff that I've done, uh, as far as the uh, corporate world is concerned, I didn't have to have my first-class medical. I didn't have it, and I uh, flew uh, a little bit of corporate on the side. So uh, that that isn't a requirement as far as the FAA is concerned. It's usually the operator. Uh, as far as see, and this is a question I really like the suggestion on the type of aircraft equipment. Uh, we actually, um, I'm pretty sure we, I can disclose, but we actually are switching our fleets out, our fleet out at the college, because uh, some of our partner airlines are really uh, strongly suggesting. <laughs> Uh, that we go to more of a glass cockpit because that's basically what people are looking towards. When I started with the airlines, we didn't have all glass, and we had folks that were going from the steam gauges to glass and were having an issue with transitions, and some people actually left the airline because of the transition from steam to glass. Normally, it's not that bad. For me, personally, it was easy. I don't know why. It just took to it. It made sense to me. Maybe it, it, it was laid out more the way my computer mind thinks. Uh, but I really think that it's important to try to get some glass experience before you jump in to an airline because it can. it's a whole different ballgame. It's like a stare <laughs> as opposed to doing a, that six-pack and you're scanning. whole different ballgame. I know, Paul, you went from, uh, I think, from steam to glass and... You didn't feel the transition was that tough, did you? No, I thought it was actually pretty easy. I will say, though, that I think if you go from glass to steam, it would be pretty difficult. And the reason why I say that is because um, with glass, especially the G1000 system, it's so darn um, – God, there's just so much information there. You know, I mean there's more information on that thing than there is in, in the airliner that I fly today, I'll tell you, that, but by a lot. Um, <laughs> so from <laughs> – sadly – so from in terms of uh, uh, a situational awareness perspective, you know, you sort of – you just glance over the MFD and you see, oh, um, I'm going to enter this hold in a, you know, in a parallel entry. And by the way, it tells you enter the parallel entry hold now, you know, <laughs> and it counts down and you turn and, and you just do it. So <clears throat> as opposed to like spinning needles and, you know, uh, having a picture in your head or drawing it on a piece of paper if you need to. 
Um, so I think for, I mean, I'm, I don't know. I'm sort of old school in this that I, th- I, I think that learning on steam gauges allows you to develop, um, <clears throat> the ability to be able to, uh, have that situational awareness. Um, I think going to gl- or flying something with glass, maybe before you get to the airline, if your airline is going to, you know, which almost every airline has some sort of glass, um, it's definitely, it's definitely good. I mean, you're, you know, that's what you're going to be seeing. So, um, <clears throat> but to do the whole train, I don't know. I think to, to do the whole training in that, I think, I feel like you lose something, um, in terms of, like I said, being able to, uh, have that, that situational awareness. So, I mean, that's kind of just my opinion on that in terms of the hours and stuff though, with the flying, like Carl said, I think it's, it's very, very dependent on where you go. If it's, I do have a lot of 135 experience. I flew part 135 charter, uh, for a number of years. And, I'm uh, so I'm pretty, pretty well versed with the regulations there. And, um, you can fly, um, you can fly with just 500 hours total time and, uh, a second class medical certificate for a 135 operator as an SIC only. Um, there are also operators that fly single pilot who will put you in the right seat if you're, uh, if you have the right attitude, um, to build hours and you can fly the empty legs back. So that's another option for getting flight time. I did that, uh, for a little while too, before I got put on the certificate as a first an SIC and then ultimately a PIC. Um, but, uh, those are the options there. So in one of the things that he says in this last question is, is there any difference about the qualifications or path to commercial aviation? Uh, by commercial, I think he's talking about the airlines because uh, it's all commercial okay. aviation Yeah. Uh, to, to kind of clarify that last question. Um, and, uh, but let's finish up real quickly on the steam as far as the, as the glass, definitely get some glass exposure cause that's what the airlines want Definitely. steams. You're not going to use as much, but remember that a lot of times your backup systems are steams, steam gauges and, uh, the newer backup systems. Cause you know, we have multiple systems in the airliners. Uh, a lot of times are going to the electronic displays or the glass for even the backup systems and even the they ones are, in the, yeah. in the one seventy two, the new, new ones that you can put in there. That's all glass. So yeah, uh, it's it, to me though, that is about building. That's a, um, it's, it's about like setting a, you know, building a foundation, setting, setting the foundation for, you know, what you're going to do down the line. I, that's why I do think some steam, um, experience, steam gauge experience is beneficial. But, uh, but the reality is like Carl said, everybody's on glass today, especially when you're going to the airline. So if you can, I think the answer is to do both. And I think too, that by flying with glass, you can, you know, it, you see, you see the big picture, right? So that when you go back to, uh, flying steam gauges, it, it helps you sort of just, um, uh, be able to develop that picture in your brain. Cause it's nice to be able to say, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm North of the fix. So I have to turn, you know, this way or that way. And so um, I think that a, a good combination of flying both airplanes would be beneficial for your uh, development as a pilot. You know, another thing that I think is beneficial being a flight instructor and especially a, a double eye where you're looking at the instruments on the other side. Oh, yeah. Because, um, you know, I had on a recent flight I had a failure of one of my displays in front of me. Right. 
and I was looking over, I was using the nav on the one side, and I was looking at the captain's side as far as my actual airspeed and altitude, and I was looking at my nav display for navigation, and I could switch between the two of them. Uh, So just another aside there is that sometimes it's nice to get that CFI for many reasons, uh, especially for that reason. Uh, One of those reasons is being able to fly the plane from the right seat uh, or the left seat or the opposite side, I should say. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the one thing that happens though, in a practical sense is normally you're going to get one or the other steam or, or glass because a lot of flight schools, that's all I can afford is one or the other. So right. you get the G 1000, you get the G 1000, you can always jump on a simulator and start with the charger the, yeah. for the glass versus the other one. Right. Right. And I know a lot of people, I know us were, we're converting to, to glass only, uh, just because oh, well. of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's one of the other kind of things. So. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's how you order the aircraft. Well, and I think Cessna stopped making steam gauge airplanes like in 2005 or something ridiculous like that. I yeah, mean, it's, it's been a while since they've made steam gauge airplane and and as a matter of fact was it uh, southwest airlines is finally getting rid of all their old steam, steam aircraft <laughs> yeah. now it's Dark. it's uh, kind of fun and the steam instruments too which is kind of cool we, right. call, we call them steam and and uh because it runs on air people are starting to think what are, what are these steam locomotives or something here now it's a it's just it's you know gas is what it is you know and that that's why we call it that but uh, anyway, gosh, you know, Paul, this is uh, thanks again for those questions. Uh, we've run a little bit long tonight uh, on our questions and answers and all, but uh, it's been great to have you back on, Paul. I'd really appreciate thanks. you coming back. Yeah, it's telling, great to be back. Yeah, and telling your story there. I know you're back from, from your own studio. Uh, and in, let's see, you're in New Jersey right now and you're, yeah, I'm in Jersey. Yep. I'm home. And, uh, I am actually in my new studio. People ask me where your studio actually is. Well, actually it's in my house. I built a little office slash studio. I still don't have all the sound deadening that I want. Uh, but, uh, I'm getting there every day is a process and I'm still <laughs> moving in. It's, uh, you're a homeowner. Yes. Every day I'm, is something new. Oh my gosh. It is something new. Every day is something new. It's <laughs> fixing this, fixing that. It's a lot of fun though. I'm having a blast. Uh, it's been really cool to have a consistent location to be able to do the recording and to have, have a nice spot to record and being so close to the college and being so close to aviation. Oh my gosh. I mean, just before this podcast, I was out with the flight team and uh, doing some preparation for the new season and getting everybody in their slots as far as what they're preparing for. And uh, it's really, really cool. It's been a lot of fun. You want to learn more, you just can go out to the uh, website, Aviation Careers Podcast. Uh, also on Stuck Mike Avcast, I talk about the flight team too. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'll just put a link to it. Uh, we, we have a, a really good time with that. It's uh, it's also something that's helpful for for your career. And if you're in a college right now and you're listening, you know, think about it. Think about getting on with a flight team. That that might be something uh, you, that would interest you. It's also something that will help you because it prepares you for your written exams. It prepares you for your practical test, and it also teaches you how to win and uh, how to move forward in your career when you're having to compete with so many other people that are just as good as you are, and how to put yourself forward. Uh, but anyway, gosh, guys, I really appreciate everybody listening again uh, for the career coaching. One of the things I know we're getting backed up here uh, with the coaching sessions and I've heard comments. Yeah, it takes a couple of weeks to get on my schedule. 
Uh, be patient. If you want, you can look at my schedule before you actually sign up for the coaching. You can always uh, sign on and look at the, the first video on the coaching uh, portion of the website. Uh, again, we do everything from you know career counseling to getting you ready for your next interview, interview preparation and resume review. We'll look at your applications. We uh, just kind of do a soup to nuts and look at you in a more holistic manner and get you prepared for your next step in your career. Well, speaking of your next step, do you know, like I said in every podcast, do something today to move forward in your career. Take one step forward, one small step. That's all you need to do to move forward in your career. And amazingly enough, uh, you'll you'll be so many leaps ahead uh, when you look backwards a year from now, just like Paul's leaps ahead now uh, than he was uh, when he he was you know the podcast last. But but each of those days, he took one step to move forward in his career. It may be just picking up a trip, an extra five hours here and there. Well, folks, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next episode and safe flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.